Join us in singing, I release. There was a time in my life I thought I'd have to do it all for myself. I didn't know the grace of God was sufficient. I didn't know the love of God was at hand. But now I can say if you are discouraged, struggling just to Make it through another day. You've got to let it go. Let it all go. And this is what you have to say. Oh, I release and let go. I let the spirit of my Thank you. Good morning. Welcome to the Center for Spiritual Living. My name is Reverend Pat Bredow, and it is my honor to preside for you this morning and to be a staff minister here. And I'd like to remind us what we stand for. 
We are a spiritual community that blesses all teachings and all spiritual teachers. We know that there is no wrong way to worship, whether it be burning a Burning incense, lighting a candle, facing the east, repeating a mantra, lighting a menorah, offering a prayer of any kind. We know that there is every way that there is to draw closer to spirit has value for the people who, who use that method. And so we do honor all of those teachings. And wherever you are on your spiritual path, you are most welcome here. It is our vision inspiring the recognition of spirit in all. And our Sunday morning celebrations are to assist you in celebrating the magnificence that you are. So if you are new to our center, we invite you to go to the back, the welcome table. There is um, some information in and a package of um, uh, with a gift in it for you. And they can answer any questions that you might have about our teaching, about our center and about how things are around here. And so at this time, I'm going to ask that you remain seated, right, as we sing um, So Much Magnificence.
beautiful. Thank you. I have a few announcements. Today is a very special day. Right after this service at one o'clock, we're having our annual general meeting. So all members of the center are requested to be there. If you are unable to attend, please make sure that you fill out a proxy form before you leave so that we can make sure we have quorum and can do the business of our, of our center. On Saturday, March 21st, the women's group is meeting. Jamie Kessel's coming to bring um, African drums. And so we do need a count if you're planning on being at that so she knows how many drums to bring. There, is, there are details in your bulletin. And so it will be an exciting opportunity for the women's group. Please join us if you can. Also in your program, you will find um, all of the information about the new accredited classes that are starting. They start the, the first week of April. And there's, there's something for everyone in this group of classes. So I do encourage you, if, um, if you can find it in your schedule, give this gift to yourself because classes are a wonderful way for you to really learn to um, put this practice, put this teaching into practice in all aspects of your life. Another exciting equal opportunity, we have a men's group starting. So the first group um, meeting is going to be Thursday, April the 2nd at 7 p.m. So all interested members, all interested attendees of the centre are welcome to be there. Only requirement is being male. On April 12th, we have a really... How many of you were here last year when the Mamesa Choir was here? They're, They're an incredible group. And they, they put on just an incredible production last year, and they are now back. They're coming back. Um, they're only doing two locations in Edmonton this time, and one is the Windspear, and the second one is here. And they're doing all, um, they're going to be here for Easter Sunday, all three services, and they're also doing a special presentation, an evening presentation. So... Please mark your calendars. This is an amazing event. They are, they are just incredible. The energy in this place after they did their, did their um, presentation was incredible. So please join us for that. And do I have anything? Yes. No, that's all the information I need to give to you at this point. But it is my great privilege to introduce our guest soloist today. And um, she's one of our own much-loved Robin Walters. Sharp and keen, but his heart 
just like a laurel be twisted round itself till almost everything he did brought pain to someone else oh it's not in what you're born with it's what you choose to build it's not how big your share is it's how much you can share it's not the fights you dreamed of it's those you really fought it's not what you've been given it's what you do with what you got oh what's the use of two strong legs if you only run away and what's the use of the finest voice if you've nothing good to say Robin Walters. And now it is my uh, honor to introduce to you our practitioners that are in service for you this week. They are Reverend Kathleen Miller, Kelly Kay, Jennifer Andell, Reverend Connie Neeson, and Arnie Paulson. These practitioners, this wonderful team of practitioners is um, available after the service in the, in the room to my left to do a one-minute ministry, and they will also do treatment for you if, they're, if you're interested in filling out a card um, and putting it in the collection. They will be holding a consciousness for you of whatever it is that you are expanding to embrace in your life. And now please join me in welcoming, welcoming up Jennifer to do the, today's reading. Good morning. It's live. Um, today's reading is from Spiritual Literacy by Frederick and Mary Ann Broussat. Um, the, read, the reading is the sacred, reading the sacred in everyday life. God decided to become visible to a king and a peasant and sent an angel to inform them of a blessed event. O king, the angel announced, God has dined to be revealed to you in whatever manner you wish. In what form do you want God to appear? Seated pompously on his throne and surrounded by awestruck subjects, the king royally proclaimed, How else would I wish to see God? See in 
save in majesty and power. Show God to us in full glory of power. God granted his wish and appeared as a bolt of lightning that instantly pulverized the king and his court. Nothing, not even a cinder, remained. God granted his wish. The angel then manifested herself to a peasant, saying, God dines to be revealed to you in whatever manner you desire. How do you wish to see God? The angel then manifested... I'm losing this. Scratching his head and puzzling a long while, the peasant finally said, I am a poor man and not worthy to see God face to face. But if it is God's will to be revealed to me, let it be in those with those things that I am familiar. Let me see God in the earth I plow, the water I drink, the food I eat. Let me see the presence of God in the faces of my family, my neighborhood. And if God deems it as good for myself and others, even in my own reflection as well. God granted the peasant his wish, and he lived a long and happy life. It is now my pleasure to introduce our spiritual director, Reverend Patrick Cameron. Thank you. What happened to the mic? I knew something was up. Good morning. So I'm going to invite you to uh, stand with me if you so desire. Sitting is a great option too if you'd like. I'm going to sing a song and say a prayer. In this very room, there's quite enough love for all the world. And in this very room, There's quite enough joy for all the world. And there's quite enough love and quite enough power to walk through our every fear. For spirit, one spirit is in this very room. This very room, in this very room. So as we come together today, let us remind ourselves of who we are and whose we are. There is a power for good in the universe, one life, one power, and that life is our life. And so as we stand together, we declare that. As we come together this day, we are reminded of the truth of our being. Let us also know that as we Elevate our awareness to that idea that our consciousness has shifted and changed. May we stand in the graciousness of life. May we understand that there are gifts waiting to be received. And as we open our hearts and open our minds to the possibilities and the unbounded potential that each and every one of us carries with us, that something beautiful and powerful has an opportunity to be made manifest here and now. So I give thanks for this reminder. Knowing who I am, knowing who you are, I see the face of God everywhere I look. I know the blessings of this day pour themselves forth by means of our gathering. And I know that we take this energy and this genius and this inspiration, this power and this love and this compassion into our lives to stand clear and tall in the clarity, focus, ease and grace of the infinite in and through and as each and every one of us. For this I give thanks. Release these words knowing that the right and perfect idea is already present in the mind of the one and we are the place where that shows up. And together I invite you to say with me, and so it is. Please be seated. So at the first service, someone said to me, the way it was snowing earlier, I don't know if it's still snowing out there, I haven't looked out the window. They said, don't go outside in that jacket, we might not ever find you again. (laughs) So thanks for the tip, appreciate it. I love that. Might not ever find you. Where'd he go? He's, he was a white blur, just went down the street. So Dr. Holmes, Dr. Ernest Holmes, our founder, said that ignorance stays with us until the day of enlightenment. So enlightenment is really important. Ignorance stays with us until the day of enlightenment. 
So we'll talk a bit about enlightenment today, and we'll talk a bit about some other things that uh, help us prepare us in consciousness for enlightenment. But ignorance stays with us till the day of enlightenment, until the vi- our vision, our vision, your vision and my vision of spirit broadens so that we cast out that no longer useful littleness. So, because littleness is useful. I have a PhD in littleness, as a matter of fact, a couple of them. <laughs> I majored in it for a long time. But putting it down is important because what it does is it helps create a place for something larger or something more gracious to show up. So it's important. It's an important discussion to have. David Hawkins has done some amazing work around calibration of consciousness, which sounds a bit odd because consciousness is kind of esoteric. What's consciousness? But he has done a, a simple process of, if you've ever been to the chiropractor and they muscle test, they have you hold your arm out to see how your muscles are doing after they adjust you. What's strong, what's strong and true strengthens us and what is not weakens us and so if I brought somebody up here and had them hold their arm out and I they gave me they told me a lie they wouldn't be able to hold their arm up it just weakens us that which is not true weakens us and so from that um, David Hawkins has been able to come up with a calibration system on just what consciousness calibrates at and he's done years and years of study the, uh, the planet earth calibrates at 200 200 is neither positive nor negative anything below 200 is negative said right now that the political climate, this was several uh, months back, he said the political climate in the United States was at about 195 at the time he was muscle testing. But it shifts and changes. And it's just an arbitrary scale. It doesn't, it's not good or bad, right or wrong, it's just a measure. But <clears throat> the raising of consciousness, the calibration of consciousness is very important. Unconditional love calibrates at 540, 560. 560 is unconditional love, which is very high because enlightenment is 600. So if we just practice unconditional love in our lives, I mean really unconditional love, which is huge work, we're, we're right below enlightenment. Quite interesting. So when we come together, the, the, how important this is, we come together each Sunday and we have, we're reminded of ideas because there's, the world is full of ideas. But our, our opportunity here is to, to elevate the consciousness, to keep the conversation in heaven as I mentioned last week. And it, it seems strange, but it's powerful to do. It's powerful to come together and have these conversations. It lifts and changes our call it calibration. When we get together and we pray and then we sing, we shift and change. When we, pray, when we sing, we get out of our heads, we move into our hearts. It's, just a, it's a powerful spiritual practice, but we think it has to be something unique and lights flashing and, and all this stuff. That's why I put the lights up there so we can flash them once in a while for you. But it's not that. <laughs> it's not that. Okay? That was just, it's, 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 it's just good theater. I'm, a, I'm an old actor, so I believe in good theater, if you know what I mean. But it really is, this is our home. You know, when I talk about the things we've done around here, I'll digress for a moment. But this is our spiritual home. This is, we're inviting people into our spiritual home. And we stand for the highest and best. We stand for beauty. We stand for elegance. We stand for creativity. We stand for freedom. And so why should our environment not reflect that? I just think that in, the environment should reflect the beauty that we stand for. It, it elevates us in consciousness. So I've been lo- looking at the book with, by Pima Chodron called when things fall apart. We've got a number of these left in the bookstore, and my suspicion is you don't like the title. That's why you're not scooping it up, because it's an amazing book. But things have to fall apart. You know, for things, things have to fall apart so things can fall back together, come back together in a new way. This is life. It's an endless cycle of transition. Good morning. Talking about Pima Chodron's book. You got her late. I'll catch you up right now. Anyway. So Pima talks about the six kinds of loneliness. And I think it's good. I'm going to touch on them and expand on them a little bit today. There's six kinds of loneliness. Number one is less desire, to be lonely without resolution. So to be in the experience of loneliness and not have to fix it. Lonely. Here I am. Hmm. See, we're, we're conditioned to believe that we shouldn't be lonely, that we shouldn't be in solitude, that we shouldn't, have, we shouldn't have pain in our lives, we shouldn't have sorrow in our lives. Because that's part of life. If you're in the world, you're going to have those things. You just are. Things are going to happen. Things are going to shift and change. So to be lonely, less desire, number one, to be lonely without resolution. Number two, contentment. Contentment is there's nothing to lose. I have nothing to lose. But what most of us think, and I, and I can join you in this many times, is that I have everything to lose. There's so much to lose. And what happens when we have that mindset of there's, there's something to lose, then there's fear. Because we fear we're going to lose something that belongs to us. And isn't it interesting around possession and think, having things and this is mine and that's his and that's hers and all these things and I've, I've got mine now or I'm going to protect mine and all of that fear, all those stories we tell ourselves about that. But really at the end of the day, we are infinite divine expressions of the one. And of course we have things. You know, of course we have, but, but do those things own us or do we own them? 
And how attached are we to them? And why is our purpose for being here? And I think that as we get clearer about that, as, as we continue to elevate our conversation, as we calibrate at a higher level of consciousness, as Hawkins would say, all of a sudden those things become clearer and clearer to us. What, is, what brings fulfillment into our lives? Not just achievement, but fulfillment. Number three is un- avoiding unnecessary activity, looking for a way out so we don't have to feel any pain. Anybody ever had any pain and look for a way out to deflect the pain? I'm in pain and I've got to get out of pain immediately. I've got to get it fixed now. Right now, I've got to get out of this pain. Could we stop trying to escape from being alone with ourselves? Are you able to be alone with yourself? Because it's a really sweet place to be, being alone with yourself. There's a poet by the name of Rowan who said, If you want to find the meaning, stop chasing after so many things. The fourth one is complete... Somebody's loving this already. Thank you. Number four, complete discipline means we are willing to come back gently, to come back to the present moment. Because we can futurize, we pasteurize. But the present moment, this is the moment of power. This is the moment where we choose and decide in a new way. This moment, and now this moment, and now this moment. Can you bring yourself back to present moment when you forget, when you drift off? Number five, not wandering in the world of desire, never having to grow up. i got a great story I'm going to share with you in a little bit about never having to grow up, what that looks like, my experience with that. But we don't want to grow up. We want to go home and, you know, I watch, I watch my two uh, young men in my, in my house and they, they come in and the refrigerator is full of stuff. You know, and then they, if, the, if it's not full of stuff, they look over at mom and say, when are you going shopping? You know, but isn't that the mindset most of us had? Because then all of a sudden we're out on our own and we got to do the shopping. But it's that, it's that transition of having to grow up in our lives, making peace with that. And number six is not seeking security from one's discursive thoughts. In other words, we escape into that constant conversation. That, that little, the little lawyers, as Kelly Kay always says in the mind, that, that, that monkey mind, rename it because of the monkey mind. We're busy with monkey mind. It's a great activity. It keeps you really busy. Solve all kinds of problems, figure things out, on and on and on. And so what happens when that comes up for us, one of the ways that Pima talks about it is just say, I'm thinking. Oh, there I am thinking again. Just thinking. There's nothing wrong with thinking. We're thinking all the time. But it's not good or bad. We give great meaning to thinking. So all of these, are, are, I think they're important to look at because loneliness is not a popular idea. You know, I mean, if you look at popular culture, if we buy the right car, we have the right home, have the right job, we're never lonely. We're always happy. Life is just one, it's one e-ticket at Disneyland. We don't have the e-tickets anymore, but it's, you know, you can go on all the rides. It's an endless cycle of, of celebration. And that's not reality. You know, I mean, what we've just seen in, in terms of why this is important is, is that vision is so important for our lives. Vision is the, the, the thing that drives us. If we don't have a vision for our lives, then everything else, we get, we get trapped in these things. I'm from the United States, and uh, I'm very proud of, of being from the United States. I'm also very honored to live in Canada and to sp- share this culture with you all. I think it's an amazing culture. People ask me about what I think of Canada, and I say, look, any culture that believes that having health care for every citizen is, is, not, is just the right thing to do speaks volumes. I don't need to tell you any more about Canada. And I think you can be very proud of that. I just think there's, a, that there's an energy here and a compassion here that is unique and wonderful, and, and maybe you need to hear that sometimes because I know it's easy to complain about what's here because we can fall into that. But the point is, is that the vision is so important. So when I look at what's happened in the States, for a long time what politics was in that, that country, and politics in most countries, is a popularity contest. And so what, to, to, do, to be popular with people, what, what happens is people identify where people are. They identify where you are in consciousness, what you value, what you honor, what you, what you touch and feel, and what brings you to life. You know, this idea in the, in, the, in the United States is a very popular idea, and it helped carry George W. Bush into the White House, was that, that Jesus was American. <laughs> Seriously. You know, it would never occur to anybody that he was not. And that, that it's, the, you know, it's, the, it's the next best thing to slice bread, that, that their way is the only way. And now we're, we're seeing what happens with that. When you don't have checks and balances in place, things happen. When you decide you've got all the answers and you're going to act in ways because you know what's right and best for everybody without having checks and balances and accountability, things happen. Wars happen because you've got an agenda to run. And all of a sudden that has had to shift and change. But what happened with that is instead of someone leading with vision, someone said, let's see, I know what they like. I'll keep talking to them about what they like. And I'm so much like you, I'm the average man. And I love this and I love that and I stand for this and identification with a certain uh, religious uh, path. And all of a sudden people go, yeah, they're just, he's just like us. That's what we need. 
It'd be just like me being president. I've heard, I was on a bus in the States in New Jersey several months back. And they were arguing between Obama and Bush. And I was sitting there watching the whole thing. And this guy says, why do you love Bush so much? And he says, well, because if that guy can be president, there's hope for me. <laughs> I said, you're good point. Never thought of it like that. But we need vision. We need vision in our lives. And vision is not calibrated. See, vision, that, that type of leadership calibrates below 200. And it's, and it's nothing wrong with it. It's just that there's a bigger idea, a bigger possibility. So I wanted to share with you uh, one of my great teachers in my life is a guy named Rumi. They call him Mevlana. Mevlana just simply means Lord. Rumi was a Sufi poet. Do you know much, anybody here know much about Rumi? Rumi is an amazing guy. I want to share you with one of his poems. Rumi is a Muslim. He was uh, around the 12th century and in amazing consciousness. He was an ecstatic. Rumi believed that it was ecstasy just to be alive. Rumi felt the life and the love in the rocks, in the dirt, in the flowers. I mean, he was a nitty-gritty mystic, very Irish. You know, St. Patrick's Day is coming up, and every year I say I'm going to take St. Patrick's Day off in honor of, you know, my namesake and, and all the stuff that, uh, and all the things I should be doing, you know, drinking beer and eating corned beef and uh, cabbage and all that stuff. And to, it's on Tuesday, and Tuesday's my busiest day, so I'm going to have to def- deflect it, I guess. But anyway, but the Irish, if you go into an Irish town, the tallest thing in an Irish village is the steeple. The, wherever they worship, it's the tallest thing. It's the tallest thing. It, it speaks to their, their connection with spirits because they're very, they're very connected, like Rumi was, to the earth, to, the, to, the, to the, the humus of life. And they also, what they do, what the Irish do, is they go into pubs, and they drink, and they sing. That's why singing is so important because it, it, it takes us out of our heads. It lifts us up. I mean, singing is so popular in all cultures. But, you, you know, you go to Ireland, you're going to be in a pub, you're going to be drinking something, and you're going to be singing eventually. <laughs> but it's, and Rumi came from that. Rumi writes about the drunkards all the time. Now, he's a Muslim, probably didn't drink. He prayed five times a day. But Rumi said that if you believe that, if you believe that there's a difference between a Hindu and a Muslim and a Jew and a Christian and a pagan and an animalist, then you are separating your heart from the activity you take to the world. You are separating your heart from the action you take to the world. He understood when he died, they came from all traditions. An amazing guy. And he wrote this. So one of his short ones. Out beyond, beyond ideas of wrongdoing and rightdoing, there is a field. I'll meet you there. When the soul lies down in that grass, the world is too full to talk about. Ideas, language, even the phrase each other doesn't make any sense. He wrote, Rumi wrote, there's been about 400 of his poems translated. Now he didn't write what Rumi did is he circled around a, a post and he, and he went into this expanded awareness and he dictated and his students were his scribes. Now they have about 400 of them that, that they've taken from the Persian, put into English so we can read them. He is the most widely read poet ever. He's read more than Shakespeare now. He wrote a total of 20,000. He dictated 20,000 poems. What happened for Rumi, and the reason I bring Rumi up is why it's such a good fit for this idea of loneliness and why it's important to work with it, I believe. It's a gift in our lives. We don't look at it that way. We push it away. We want to cover it up. We want to get on to the next activity. We want to fix it right away. And I think when, when, when sorrow, when, when difficulty shows up in our lives in terms of health or finances or relationship, it's such an opportunity to look at it and to slow down and say, what's going on here? Someone, all of a sudden, the job I was going to work the rest of my life has been taken away. What's going on here? All of a sudden, the relationship that I thought, this was it, this was the one, what's going on here? It's ended. Those things happen, and it leads to that loneliness, and then we can get into the dysfunctions of loneliness. So Rumi, Rumi was an, lived in the ecstasy. His father was a dervish, and Rumi was his student, and he became a teacher, and he was very well known in the community. And he had this longing to have a companion that he could do, have these conversations, these the. Sufis have three forms of spiritual practice. One is prayer, one is meditation, and one is sobet. Sobet is S-O-H-B-E-T. Sobet is deep conversation. It's listening. It's connecting and listening. So Rumi would get into these conversations of sobet, and he would start to dictate the poetry. But what happened one day is a man rode into the village. Actually, Rumi was riding, as the story goes, and this man stepped out of a doorway and grabbed the reins of of his donkey. And he looked into his eyes and they had to start, start having this conversation. And that was Shams. Shams is S-H-A-M-S. And Shams looked at him, asked him a question. 
And Rumi knew right away in the conversation, this is the man he'd been looking for. And he entered into this amazing mystical relationship. They became best friends. And, 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 and simply in the mystical sense, not, they weren't romantically involved. Rumi had two wives over the course of his lifetime. He had four kids. He didn't, as I said earlier, start playing for the other team as soon as he met Shams. He just simply had this mystical experience with Shams. Well, a lot of people think because it was such a deep and intimate relationship, all of a sudden, you know, we, we equate that. We, make that. we can make that distinction. But anyway, he met Shams. And Shams and him would go off into these moments. They would go off into the wilderness, and they'd have these amazing experiences, and they'd talk, and they would just connect. They connect verbally and non-verbally, and they talk about spirit, and they talk about the, just the beauty and joy of being alive, the fullness. And they'd have that conversation. And when you have that conversation with somebody, it, it elevates you. The graciousness of life and the beauty. You read some of Rumi's poetry. It is amazing stuff. It's transformative. And so Shams and he, and he had this relationship. And Shams would every once in a while take off and go away. And Rumi would say, he'd send one of his sons and say, go find Shams. One time Shams uh, was in Damascus and Rumi's son found him. And, and Shams was playing cards in a tavern with this young man, this disheveled sort of young, young guy. Turns out the guy had been cheating all day and taking all of Shams' money, cheating him at cards. And so Rumi's son walks in and, and realizes from the, the reverence that is shown to Shams by Rumi's son that this is a unique individual. This is a sacred man. This is something, this is, this is not an everyday occurrence. And so the young man says, you know what? I, I can't take this money. I've been cheating you all day. I've been, I've been stealing from you. And Shams says, that's okay. It's okay. Keep the money. No problem. Turns out that young man went on to become St. Francis of Assisi. Isn't it interesting how, how mystics find one another? How we find the right people? Just a, a fascinating story. He was, uh, Rumi lived at a time when St. Francis of Assisi was coming into his awareness. Talk about consciousness being born. What consciousness are we giving birth to now? See, that's why it's so important for us to keep our conversation elevated. If you, if you just simply, I talked about unconditional love. If you, you, if you move forward in graciousness, you elevate your, your consciousness a couple hundred points. Just graciousness. When you go in somewhere and thank people, say, thank you so much. I thank people even if I get in lousy service. So I know that they're probably doing the best they know how. I might not go back, but I'm thanking them because I want to keep that conversation alive in my life. I want to draw the best and the highest and the best into my life. And so anyway, so Shams, they get back together. Well, anyway, there's great jealousy. People didn't like Shams after a while because they were losing Rumi. This is our teacher. And so at one point in time, in one of the books I read, in Coleman, one, this book actually by Coleman Barks called The Illuminated Rumi, December 5th, Rumi, uh, Shams was killed. He was murdered, and his body was hidden. And Rumi couldn't believe it. couldn't believe that Shams was dead. He figured he just took off again because he had this pattern of drifting away. And so he sent him after him. He sent his son out to look for Shams. Well, they, they think that it probably was Rumi's son that, that did kill Shams. And so here's this tremendous loneliness. Here's this tremendous sorrow. And so what did Rumi do? He looked and he looked and he looked. He searched and he searched. He let his longing take him where it needed to go. He looked and he looked and looked. And then at one point in time, he realized there was absence. He missed his buddy Shams. But there was oneness. There was embodiment. And so what it did for Rumi, this deep sorrow, this deep sadness, this deep, deep grief, he went back and he started dictating. He started reciting this poetry. Now, we have Rumi's poetry, and it, it doesn't rhyme for us the way it did in Persian. In ancient Persian, there are three words on each line of Rumi's poetry that rhyme. They say that if you can hear it done in Persian, it's like a song. And he would just circle around this pole, and he would, he would dictate, and his scribes would write. And every once in a while, Coleman Barks says, I, felt, I feel good about this. Every once in a while, Rumi would go back and do a little rewrite. Because he said, it would drive me crazy to know. Coleman Barks is a poet as well. He's an English professor at the University of Georgia in Athens. He said, it would drive me crazy to think (laughs) Rumi did all this stuff on the first take. (laughs) But amazing, amazing. And so what what sparked that open for him was a broken heart. His heart was opened. I was doing counseling with someone during the week, and they're in a relationship, and things are, and it's to that point where you don't know if it's going to happen or not. And I said, well, what's the fear? Because that's what was speaking. I said, you're suffering here. What's the fear? And she said, well, you know, I don't want to have a broken heart. And I, and I don't know if I should stay and do the work or if I should just bail. And I said, well, number one, you're going to have to do the work. You're never going to escape doing the work. So that's a given. And you can, you can postpone. You can delay. <laughs> but it's inevitable. 
And the other part about this broken heart stuff, the broken heart just cracks you open. That's, the, that's why we're here, to have our hearts cracked open. There's a young man by the name of Michael Richards. And Michael was an uh, artist in New York. He was born in the Caribbean. And he went to New York and he started doing these amazing things, creating. I mean, that's what artists do. They're in touch with that muse. Rumi did it. We see, you know, all the great artists, all the people, they elevate us. They lift us up. Great art is so important. It elevates the conversation. And we're lifted in consciousness. And so he started doing his work, and all of a sudden he started finding uh, patrons. And he started selling his work, and he started displaying it. And so on, uh, he he had done a, a sculpture. He was a young man. He was a black man. He came from the Caribbean. And he'd done a sculpture of himself, a bronze of himself, um, in a flight suit. And he had a look on his face of great surprise. Like something was just coming at him like he'd never seen before. Like, you know, like a deer in the headlights. And he was standing in this flight suit. He's a very tall, slender, very athletic, beautifully uh, proportioned young man. And on the flight suit, in the bronze, he had two airplanes flying into his heart. And his story about this was it was a celebration of Tuskegee Airmen. The Tuskegee, Air, Tuskegee Airmen were a, a group of black pilots and aviators that flew these missions over Germany, one after another after another, served amazing, amazingly courageous men. Not only to do that for a country that had, had told them they're second-class citizens, but to stand up in the integrity of who and what they were. They're legendary. And it was a celebration. He, he called it, he called it uh, two names for it. He called it Br'er Rabbit and St. Sebastian. And Br'er Rabbit was about that black legacy of being in the, the, the tar baby and all that stuff. That, that story from that, that, uh, that story from you know, when I was a kid. But also St. Sebastian, who welcomed when he was, he was a martyr. He died for the cause, and he welcomed the arrows into his heart as he was dying in love of, of this, this idea he stood for. So on September 10th, he went up. His, his studio was on the number one tower in New York City. He was on the 97th floor. He went, he went there on, on September 10th. Um, the day before 9-11, and he was working. He worked all night. And that morning, we all know what happened. Those towers came down. They lost the sculpture. He died. But what a vision. What a vision to cast himself in bronze, have two planes flying into his heart with this look of surprise on his face. They have pictures of it. But we've lost the sculpture. We've lost him. So... (laughs) That, that story for me just cracks my heart open. We've lost that. We've lost that, that potential. We've lost that possibility. But we have the memory. We have the essence of what he stood for. That consciousness is alive. When he died, they had a huge funeral for him in Harlem because he was celebrated. He was, his life was celebrated. and We know it was cut short. It's a very sad story. The reason I share it with you, because it, it cracks my heart open every time I tell the story and think about this beautiful man, Michael Richards, and his life cut so short, the potential and the possibility, but he, he was tapped into that same divine flow of life, that same conversation that Rumi was, the same conversation that you and I have to continue to nurture and welcome into our lives. And, and I think it's so important to have the discussion about loneliness because we want to cover it over when things aren't working well. Maybe it isn't in our best interest to run away and fix it immediately. Maybe it's in our best interest to, to be in it for a bit. Say, what's going on here? What is the pattern here? What is, because consciousness precedes experience. What is the, the consciousness that, that continually creates the same or similar experience for me? What is it? Because when that shifts, enlightenment comes. When enlightenment comes, we can make powerful and wonderful and beautiful and dynamic decisions that move us forward creatively and powerfully. We're having our AGM today. And... I put that sign up back there when I first got here. I, asked, I said to the board, let's get this banner up. Something wonderful is happening here. Something, it's, up, it's up on the back. When you, on your way out, you may see it. It's green right above the, the glass there. I put that up five, six years ago when I got here. Now, wonderful allows a graciousness. It allows, it allows spaciousness in our lives. Do you get up every morning and say, something wonderful is happening here? Something beautiful and powerful is happening in my life, and I'm willing to go with whatever it is. If the car doesn't start... Maybe that's right and perfect. Maybe you need to be home to get the phone call. Maybe you need to take a walk. Whatever it may be. But to go with whatever shows up and say yes to all of it in a powerful and wonderful way. 
Coleman Barks said when he went to, to Turkey, Coleman is the, the, the uh, translator and the poet that is re- rewriting Rumi's poetry, one of them. He said he went to Turkey in 1984, and he went in, and every time he would go in to eat, he would ask for bottled water. And so he, and Coleman's got this beautiful, deep, rich Tennessee accent. It just makes you melt. And, and Coleman would ask for bottled water in his Tennessee Turkish. And when he'd ask for it, everybody would come out of the kitchen and look at him, and they were trying to figure out what he was saying. And, and he'd just, you know, yeah, bottled water. And he'd finally go over and grab a bottle of water, and he'd point at it. And then they'd, oh, okay, and they'd get him bottled water. Well, when he got home, he was talking to a friend of his that speaks fluent Turkish. And the way Coleman was pronouncing um, bottled water is the same. Every time he went in to eat, he was asking for the secret to the universe. <laughs> people, people were quite fascinated by that. It's quite a request. We are, we are, you know, and the bottled water is the secret to the universe. But we are that thing itself. We are, we are Rumi. We're Michael Richards. We are the Christ consciousness. We're the Buddha. The awakened. How awakened are you willing to be? Because when you start to live a life that's awakened, all of a sudden that, that, that no longer useful littleness that Dr. Holmes talks about has to go. That's something beautiful. And, par- and we have to be willing to welcome it. But for many people, I was just talking to somebody the other day about this, the woman I was counseling with on this, this love relationship. And I said, you don't have the language. You don't have the vocabulary. It's like learning Russian with no manual. She says, you're right. I says, just go with it. Just be in it. Be present with it. What's the good here? Pull the good out of it. Have the courage and the strength to just take your stand. We've, we've had enough people that have gone before us that have done that. So it's important. It's important for us to have that conversation. It's, it's important for us to elevate ourselves. You know, it's important when people come along and tell you the world just sucks to be able to say, you know what, that doesn't represent how I feel about it. And, and whatever puts us into that state of radiance, whatever lifts us and elevates us in consciousness, it, it's so important. It's so important to do that as often as necessary. Through music, through dance. Matthew Fox, a wonderful teacher, says the fastest way to transcendence is through dance. Dance and music. Whatever it is for you. Whatever brings you to life. Fulfillment. You know, Laura and I were at the business breakfast the other day and, and Jillian Andrews spoke. And she gave a little questionnaire out at it. And she said, you know, what, what brings you fulfillment? And she happened to be my partner because she's my favorite person in the world. She's my shams. And I told her that last night. I said, you're my shams. You know, we, we did all this work in consciousness. When we met each other, it wasn't like, it was not without pain and suffering and loneliness. But to set an intention and say, you know what, this is what I know is possible in relationship, and I do not want to die. I don't want to live another day without this experience. And I'm willing to do whatever it takes to, to grow into the idea and the being of unconditional love. And then when I met her, she started telling me that she had made the same declaration months earlier. I thought, isn't this interesting? The, the synchronicities of life. When the consciousness is ready, it shows up. If you're lack and limitation, if you're limited in some way in your life, it's because the consciousness isn't there. If you want to have more good in your life, more prosperity in your life, you've got to give more. If you want to, be more, you want to have more love in your life, you've got to love more. And it isn't easy because many of us don't have the vocabulary or the experience or it wasn't modeled for us. So we have to go out and we have to learn it on our own. So let's call the right teachers into our life that can teach us that. Let's call the right experiences into our life that moves us into that consciousness because that's, that's the possibility. That's the opportunity. Without doing that, we just, it's a way, we've wasted the experience. And I'm not, I'm not willing to do that. So Pima says this. This is simple, and this is beautiful, I think. And I think that I invite you to do this this week, and I will as well. When you wake up in the morning and out of nowhere comes the heartache of alienation and loneliness, the pain of psoriasis, the itching, and no, I'm just kidding about that part. <laughs> I couldn't resist. It just sounds like an ad, doesn't it? Are you blue? There's nothing about psoriasis or itching in this thing. It's on page 72. Could you use that? Could you use that experience as a golden opportunity? Rather than persecuting yourself or feeling that something terrible is terribly wrong or is happening terribly wrong, right there in the moment of sadness and longing, could you relax and touch the limitless space of the human heart? So that's what Rumi did. That's what Rumi did. He taught, touched the limitless space of the human heart. And we get there. Yeah, sometimes our eyes start to leak. We get cracked open and you know, 
Every, every time I think of Michael Richards and that bronze statue, two planes flying into his chest, I can't even fathom what was driving him and motivating him. The, the, the sense of connection and life, and then all of a sudden two planes fly into the building that he's in. It's just, you know, we are so connected. The, that conversation is so available if we just listen. But we have to be willing to be in the loneliness sometimes to listen. We have to be willing with, to be at peace and at love with what is, to have the conversation. Otherwise, we're just doing affirmations and affirmative prayers, and we're covering everything over with that as if that's going to fix it. And that doesn't work. That's called spiritual bypass. Rather than persecuting yourself or feeling that something terribly wrong is happening, right there in the moment of sadness and longing, could you relax and touch the limitless space of the human heart? So the next time you get a chance, experiment with it. And so it is. Namaste. So this is the sing-along portion of (laughs) today's service. I'm pretty sure many of you will know the words to the chorus. So if you know them and you feel like singing, please sing along. song for the broken hearted silent prayer the faith departed and I'm not gonna be another face in the crowd you're gonna hear my voice when I shout it out loud it's my life their ground for everyone who didn't back down tomorrow may be hard making no mistake luck ain't even lucky gotta make your own break it's my
Robin Walters. Thank you, Robin. Beautiful, beautiful, beautiful. Reverend Catherine Cardinal, I'm going to invite you to come on up. Reverend uh, Catherine has a, a little twist and, and change today for our offering. So take it away. Thank you. I'd like to uh, invite our teens up who are going to be uh, doing our offering and also share with you a little bit of information from our teen camp. Because the, we need to thank you for all the support that you give us in providing the programs that we do for our teens and all the programs that we do here at the center. It's through all of your support. So those of you that are not doing the offering, we'll get you just to have a seat. So we're shutting the lights off because we're going to share with you some pictures in a moment as we do the offering. And I would like to share with you that Teen Camp is about Sobet, which Reverend Patrick talked about. It's about the deep listening. It's about the conversation. And Reverend Patrick also talked about, and we didn't rehearse this ahead of time, he also talked about unconditional love at the calibration of 560. And that is what teen camp is all about. And so great healing and great wonderful things happen in that. And I'm going to share with you something that I now have her permission to share her name, that Katie Waitis wrote and put on her Facebook account so it's public information out there for the world to see. And it came out of our teen camp experience. I'm impressed with the fact that superficial things don't really make me all that happy anymore. I will never forget the first time I held someone's hand and realized I don't have to run anymore. You can spend your whole life running or being run from, feeling like you have nothing to live for because, for, to live for because you couldn't see how beautiful the world really is, how beautiful a person can really be, how amazing you can be, how amazing you are, actually. I'm in love with the fact that all I really need is love, and all I need to do is trust the universe, and things will come to me. I'm in love with the fact that I have a family who can share chicken tenders and sweet and sour sauce with me. I'm in love with the fact that I love every single one of those people, and every time I hold any of their hands or get a hug or any of their support, I feel like I have a home, an actual home, and I love this feeling because I've never felt it before. I think it's called being loved, and I love loving and helping them too. This is the experience that you help us create for our teens in teen camp. And so I would like to thank all of you and thank our co-directors, which is uh, Randy Guthrie and Alicia Cloutier-Parcels, and our new co-directors, Natasha Brumwell and Cody Trudgeon, and all the advisors who make such a difference in our teen, teen's life, and with much graciousness, we share this, these pictures with you because you have helped create this experience for our teens. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you all for your support, your continued support for our teens. And I'd like to invite our ministerial team and practitioners to the platform with me. Oh, are, they, are, you, are, you, are you doing something? Oh my gosh, the, our, our other youth are doing something, so clear the way. We'd like to thank David Gibbs for putting together that slideshow for the teens. David, thank you. All right, and you all know, if you don't know Martin Kerr, he's been downstairs working with the kids today on a song. So I think this has something to do with music. Martin, let's plug you in. It's going great. There. Which one do you want plugged in? Just that. Right here? You guys, I'll plug it in the wrong place. It blows something up. I'm a peacemaker, I'm a peacemaker, brave and gentle, firm and kind, brave and gentle, firm and kind. 
Peacemaker, brave and gentle, firm and kind. Brave and gentle, firm and kind. If someone is rude to me, I will not be mad. I'll try to be the best friend that we've ever had. If I'm getting angry, I don't want to do. I'll sing myself a happy song that never get me through. Yeah. All together now. Great, so the kids are spreading out here so they have room to do the actions for this next song. And this is a song from Hawaii about unity. So I call it the Hawaiian Unity Song. (laughs) And it goes like this. We need to put it a little bit higher for the kids. Here we go. We are drops of one ocean. We are waves of one sea. Come and join us in our quest for unity. It's a way of life for you and me. We are flowers of one garden. We are leaves of one tree. Come and join us in our quest for unity. It's a way of life for you and me. 